Schleicher verdirbt uns das Geschäft und den Kredit. Die Maßnahmen der Polizei, die täglichen planmäßigen Razzien zur Ergreifung des Kindermörders, hindern unsere Tätigkeit in einem kaum mehr ertragbaren Maße. Wir müssen ihn fahren. Wir selber. everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Movie Scramble podcast, your beacon of calm and consistency in these ever-changing times. Having successfully staged our coup, I am joined by the lovely John tonight. How are you? Very well, yes. The lockdown is starting to become a bit of a bore. Even I am getting a bit bored, which is very unusual because I've got a very high tolerance for <laughs> sitting about the house <laughs> watching films. Even I actually want to go out now, so it must be getting bad. But your hair and your beard are looking so luxurious, so that's one bonus of this lockdown, right? Yeah, well, absolutely, yes. Uh, the beard is starting to annoy me, though I'm afraid <laughs> it's getting particularly... It's, I have become the butt of several jokes in my, my own house. I'm no longer respected in my own home, which isn't much of a change that. from before. But <laughs> <laughs> I just assume with the authority you wield over these podcasts that that transfers into all aspects of your life. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors, both in the podcast and in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, we are discussing Fritz Lang's 1931 serial killer drama, M. The film is set in Berlin and it centres around the increasing efforts of both the city's police and their criminal underworld to try and catch a serial killer who is targeting children. This was Fritz Lang's first sound film ever and stars the wonderful Peter Lore as the evasive killer Hans Beckett. This is also one of the last films that Lore and Lang worked on together in Germany as they both had to flee fairly quickly when the Nazis came to power and made their lives and their art increasingly difficult. It's a film that has only been remade once, I believe in 1951, in an American remake, but I actually think it's a film that has lots of themes that are very prevalent and very interesting still to this day, and I think it's a film that for its time was probably quite shocking and quite taboo, given the subject matter, and also had a lot of really interesting cinematic techniques that were very, very new to the industry. Having watched this recently, John, what are your thoughts on the film? I was completely blown away by this film. I had never seen it before. I watched it pretty much seven or eight days ago. I had it sitting on a shelf for about a year or so. It was a, a gift from a friend on one of my birthdays. And the chance to watch it sort of came up in our discussions about German films. I, I was just blown away by it. I thought it was a fantastic piece of work, considering the, the age of it. It felt very fresh and it felt almost timeless because of, as you have just pointed out, the way that it was shot, the themes of it and the way that it was staged as well. It was a fantastic piece of work. What was your impressions of it going back to? Obviously, you have watched it, I would imagine, a number of times. What was it like for yourself? Do you know, it was one of those films that I haven't seen in a long time, probably since uni or so. And when I stuck the, the Blu-ray on again, I, I couldn't, this is going to sound really weird, it's a weird reaction to have about a film about a child serial killer, but I was really, I couldn't stop smiling. I was absolutely engrossed by it. I was like, for a film that is, you know, made in 1931, I couldn't get over how masterful it was. It was really powerful, really emotional. And as, I'm kind of surprised it's not been remade a, f- a few more times than, than what it has, but I'm glad that it hasn't. It's held together beautifully by Peter Lore's performance. 
his huge big expressive eyes that obviously came to use in sort of comedic roles later on but really serve him well here there's a lot of sort of jokes and really dark humor sort of peppered throughout that sort of teutonic sense of humor that they can even have a giggle even when there's a serial killer on the loose but from the moment it starts and you're introduced to Laura's character only in shadow there's just chills you're like oh this is going to be good and he you know whistles that little piece of music wherever he goes and as soon as you hear it like you do start to get a bit tingly you're like something bad's gonna happen because there's the shadow and there's the music and it really sort of you know helps you piece it together it's just a kind of masterstroke and how to build up tension whilst actually for 1931 I think I reckon that was quite shocking to actually get to know the serial killer without them being a sort of pantomime villain yes actually for the majority of the runtime well, from my point of view, you weren't entirely sure who was the serial killer because every time you saw the figure at first, it was in shadow. He was whistling. But any time that you saw the Peter Laurie character, he never appeared. Even when there was whistling on screen, you didn't actually see his lips actually forming into any sort of whistle or anything. So they That's played it Peter very Lord close. can't whistle. <laughs> Oh, well, well, that would explain it. (laughs) But there was always a little bit of a doubt about it in terms of, is it him? And why is he actually doing this? Now, they start to go into certain elements. Like you say, there's maybe about a third of the film concentrates on his character. And you're with him while he is walking about in the streets. And later on, when he's actually getting pursued by certain elements of the the local society which we'll we'll touch on in a couple of minutes you do feel a certain sympathy for him because he's an outsider he's an awkward wee man basically i know you shouldn't i shouldn't say that about somebody but he is he's just kind of he's just that wee bit awkward he's not quite in tune with everyone around him everybody seems to have a purpose around him they're going on with life there is is very busy it's obviously a bustling city but he seems to be almost very sort of detached from it and it's now we can look back and say classic serial killer trope but then it must have been something entirely different because there couldn't have been that many serial killer films made around about that time at all yeah, absolutely. And initially, although kind of Fritz Lang sort of distanced himself from this title, in the German release of the film, the title was The Murder Amongst Us, not to be confused with a film that came out in 1945 with the, the exact same title. That's a World War II drama. But he'd initially sort of had that as a kind of tagline because he just wanted to sort of show the innocuousness of this character of how as you say he's just this kind of awkward wee guy going about the streets and but nobody really pays attention to him because in their head when they're looking for this serial killer they're expecting some big brute or a monster not you know the guy in the kind of the gentle raincoat and the hat who's just kind of popping about from shop to shop and as you say kind of looks a bit odd but he's not this he's not even the stereotype of what the villains looked like in in films at that time and they very much were these big strapping men Mm -hmm. who were you know usually tying maidens to railway tracks or or whatever that's probably a bit (laughs) earlier than that but he doesn't even fit into that kind of build and of course Peter Lord being an Austrian even his pronunciation of the German marks him out as different to everybody else in the mm. film not that I have an ear to pick that up I obviously have to I can't take credit for that that is just a fact that he is obviously got a different accent 
but I loved the dark and light the whole way through it. It was funny, it was sad, it was tense. You know, there was so much going on and it for a film that you would think, oh, it's probably a wee bit ropey, it's quite old, it absolutely grabs your attention from start to finish because there's just, there's so much going on. It, it's quite chaotic at some points as well, but it's definitely a film that absolutely holds your attention from start to finish. Again, if you just, you know, the one inch barrier, we'll keep coming back to it. If you get over the subtitles, it, it's just a really entertaining watch and really quite different, I would say, even for films of that era and the fact that it does go into some sort of psychological analysis of his character. In sort of a wider scope as well, it goes into the psychological characters that are around him, like how society reacts. Now, when the serial killer starts to hit the local populace is obviously up in arms about it so therefore the police have to do something about it but the the counter to that is that because the police are doing something about it there's increased patrols they're obviously investigating it's making life a lot more difficult for the local bad guys your stereotypical bad guys if you like like you say some of the, these guys are the big burly ones trench coats and bowler hats it's, yeah. it's quite a combination so they're all fairly typical but the the way that it showed the two elements and how they worked to try and catch the serial killer basically the police wanted to get catch them because it was an outrage and children were going missing, children were dying. But the criminals wanted to catch them because it was bad for business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it made them look bad. Yeah. So they obviously get involved as well. And I really like that element of it because I, I can't really remember seeing anything like that in any other type of film where you had the, the bad guys teaming up to get another bad guy just because of it's not good for the local business. It's it's ruining it for everybody, that kind of idea. It was yeah, I know. It's something a bit strange. good, honest thieving. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love the scene where they obviously crossfade between the, the police making their plans and the bad guys making their plans of how they're going to catch him. And to me, it almost feels like an episode of, of Columbo in that sense. And I like Columbo because it's the only one where I know who the killer is and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and, but... And, and you are kind of introduced to this character and you're like, yeah, that's definitely him. But then there are these moments, like during the sort of maybe kind of first third of the film, where you're introduced to the kind of pathetic side of him and you're like, oh God, well, he's not in the same league as, you know, these big guys that are all sitting around the table or the ones that are, you know, faking their their papers and the, and the pubs and stuff like that. You know, he, he's not like them. He seems a bit odd. And I, I love that contrast as well because it really plays with your expectations. But as I say, I love this idea of like this criminal underworld being upset that they can't continue to go about their business because there's mm. a serial killer on the loose. It's really cleverly done. There was a scene where there was a policeman interrogating, uh, not a suspect for a serial killer, but one of the, the bad guys because he'd been caught in the act of trying to catch M as he's been labelled. And their scene was very good because at first the, the criminal had the upper hand because he was saying, basically, you can't touch me, copper. And then when it, it, it really turns around, it really switches around. And it was just a, a fantastic piece of work. It was very, very subtly done, but it was done in such a way that you, you got the contrast and you got this sort of dynamic that obviously exists between the, the criminal world and the law and order world as well. Just It was a smashing piece of work. Now, you touched on it right at the, the top of your introduction there about the way it was shot. There was some real nice touches in terms of the use of cameras and things like that. 
shooting from very strange angles to give the audience a sort of different perspective. Like there was a particular memorable scene where they shot the police captain from under his desk. And it was the most unflattering angle for him that you could possibly imagine. But it just showed that it was, it's almost like it's swan-like because if you, if you look at him above the table, he's quite relaxed, nervous. But you can tell he's just all sort of pent up and he's a bit dishevelled and everything. It's like sort of a two-halves thing. And it, it just introduces like whole different elements into a film that could have just been a very straightforward tale if you like absolutely and even at the beginning of the film when the mother is shouting for her daughter to come in for lunch it was almost like i don't know what the technical term is for it but it's like do you know what they call like a trombone shot yes so when it the mother looks over the stairs to try and get her daughter to come in for lunch and all of a sudden this little apartment block the stairs seem to go on forever Mm. and ever and i was like oh my god how did they achieve that like back then how did they what did they do how did they how did they get the camera to sort of pick that up and as you see there were so many times as well where like people were looking in windows or they were looking in mirrors and then the camera sort of switched around and you realized that you had been looking at the reflection and not like mm-hmm. the, what the person was seeing it's just it's so clever mm-hmm. yeah it's obviously an awful lot of thought put into it basically because it makes it a far more entertaining film when you've got these elements because it always keeps your attention because this as i've said just a couple of months ago the story itself could have been fairly pat it could have been just eh, yeah it was okay but it's just the way that it's been brought to the screen the various elements and obviously peter laurie as well he's he was just fantastic in it what did you think of the the restoration work on the film there's a nice piece on the actual blu-ray the the Blu-ray set itself, the Eureka set, has uh, a Blu-ray version of it, which is fully restored, but it also has this old English version of it. So I don't know if you get a chance to see that at all. And obviously that's a lot closer to how the film was before it was restored. The differences between the two are it's night and day. It's so clear, so crisp, the restoration, whereas the old one's all pops and it's quite dark and gloomy and... Oh, it's just absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe how well it sort of cleaned up. So I haven't I haven't watched the original version. I watched the, the restoration and I was sort of reading through the kind of the booklet that comes with it. And they were saying that there was a kind of earlier restoration back in the early 60s. But they'd mm-hmm. added in all this like extra sound and they'd filled in, the, you know, Lang leaves quite a lot of gaps in the sound on purpose. Do not adjust your TV set. The film is still working sort of thing. And there's these huge long periods of silence that Lang left on, on purpose, obviously, to kind of let things breathe. And the restoration that came out in the 60s, I think, had filled this all in and kind of ruined it. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that this version is really, although, albeit it's cleaned up, it's very faithful to his sort of original intention for the film. But I'll go back and take a wee look at the, the original as well, actually, because that would be good fun. Yeah, it's kind of strange. The original, it was a, a British release, so, and it said in the, the notes that it had been done alongside the original German release, but what, from what I've seen of it, it's actually just dubbed. It's just the German version dubbed, apart from a few key scenes where Peter Laurie actually speaks in English. He has a big scene towards the end of the film, and it's him speaking in English in that. And some of the characters, some of the minor characters in the English version are different to the German characters. I don't know 
why that is. But I think the majority of the film actually is just the original film, but has had English voices put over it. And it's really weird listening to some of the English voices because they're so out of place. It just doesn't fit at all. It's like these wee East End washerwoman types when there's <laughs> two women speaking on yeah. it. Just, it. It seems really weird just after watching the, the German version with the original dialogue in it. So I don't think it's really worth watching it all the way through, but have a quick skim of it. It's definitely worth looking at it just for sort of comparison purposes, but it's vastly inferior to the original. It's like, say, if you can get past the, the one-inch barrier then so, you're you're really going to enjoy it and i do as i say i feel like i'm tempting fate here by saying you know it's only had one remake and that kind of you know went into oblivion like i'm quite grateful that this is a film that's kind of been left sort of untouched because you can watch it now and, and the as we've said you know the themes and the messages etc every bit as important today as as they were back then and what i like about it is it's not sensationalist like I think if it was made now you'd probably have to I don't know see one of the children getting murdered or something like that there's absolutely none of this obviously with strict censorship codes of that era but actually it doesn't need it because there, there's no. certain little touches in the film that that are just enough to sort of you you can use your imagination as to to what's happened yeah you don't see anything basically even like a, a in a modern remake, you, you may actually see something, but you would at least see the aftermath. You would see yeah. a, a child's body being discovered or something like that. But everything is done just through dialogue and news reports, that kind of thing, or posters saying that a child's missing or a child has been found. And yeah, they, they avoid that. And it's completely unnecessary because you are sympathising with the main character and that would pull you away from sympathising with them. So it keeps the audience in its toes as well because you're rooting for this guy in a way because he's being pursued by everybody at the same time. He's very much an underdog and obviously everybody likes an underdog. But then if you have a scene where you, you see him basically, you know, <laughs> strangling a Wayne, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to kind of colour your impression of the man, really. <laughs> true. That is true. I can't imagine somebody should do like a Scottish like dubbed version of it of uh, Peter Law saying they've strangled a Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aye, I could see that actually. I'm sure somebody's thought of doing that at some point or another. I mean, mm-hmm. there are moments of it in it that are quite funny though. Like I, there's the, the the pub scene where the police are trying to, you know, there's a lot of ne'er-do-wells or whatever, you know, drinking and socialising mm-hmm. and gallivanting. And there is the, the scene where they sort of, the camera pans across the table as to what they've collected from mm-hmm. speaking to all these people. And it's like, you know, cutlery from somebody's house, obviously. It's really fancy. Yeah. Papers, you know, furs. There's like two big foxes lying out. And there is these moments that do really make you laugh because they're so ridiculous and then something else will sort of pull you back in and I really think that like for that reason even just like tonally Lang was so ahead of his time because it's just it really like it pull, it, it'll it make you laugh and it'll pull you back in and it'll make you feel sorry for someone and the next minute you're like oh no that's that's bad you can't empathize it's just it's really conflicting the whole way through but the pub scene really stands out because it's just this ridiculous table full of stuff that they've obviously managed to get back off of all these thieves and it's like just ridiculous like the two big foxes really stick out in my head because obviously they're just like lying there across the table but it's just these ridiculous moments where you're just like that is hysterical it's funny now it was funny then (laughs) yeah and there's obviously the blind man as well who (laughs) he identifies um through the the tune he's whistling but then when he identifies him later on he's not whistling any tune he just goes up and touches him and goes 
that's the fella. And you go, how do you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. You could at least got him to whistle or something to see if it was. I know because but there are so many wee moments like that though that you're just like, this is. I mean, it's as I say, it, it pulls you kind of out of the seriousness of it, and it does make you laugh. But then mm. two seconds later, you're you're straight back in. And I just, I think it's a really, I think it's a film that actually more people should watch because the performances are excellent as well. Like contrary to again a lot of the performances at the time, this is not hammy. It's not, you know, the ridiculous, you know, your Lawrence Olivier two grey lines down your face, that sort of oily mm-hmm. makeup. It's very natural. It's it's really, I think a lot, I'm pretty sure I read that Lang actually did use a lot of actual beggars and thieves to make up that kind of final scene. So everything's very naturalistic and it's not over the top. If, if people are maybe thinking that that would put them off, it's just, it's, it's very, the performances are very straight. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Absolutely, yes. It would be a film I would recommend to anybody to watch. I think it's a bit of a masterpiece and I'm just a bit surprised I've never watched it before now because I really did enjoy it. I just can't believe there's a film that I've seen that you guys haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are others out there. going to make a wee line on the wall somewhere that's like, that's one, that's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so you would recommend it then? Absolutely. And if you adhere to the guidelines in the Eureka Blu-ray, you have to watch it at a certain aspect ratio because it does actually say that it would be a travesty if you watched it any other way. And those are some pretty strong words. <laughs> yeah, you don't often get that in instructions, do you? <laughs> I did see that. Yes, I think that may be one of their standard things. They, they're very particular about that, but yeah, it raises a chuckle, doesn't it? Absolutely. So that's a recommend from me and a recommend from John. We are going to take a look at our top three films about serial killers, just to sort of tie into this theme of the child serial killer. So, John, why don't you go first and tell me mm-hmm. your pick? My first pick is... Uh, 2016 supernatural psychological horror film called I Am Not a Serial Killer, but it features serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the story behind this one is it's a teenager in a small Midwestern town called John Wayne Cleaver. He's been diagnosed as a sociopath and basically he's somebody to watch as a budding serial killer. He has the tendencies, he has all the markers for it. Now, in order to try and stop this from happening within himself he's obviously on a wee bit of medication and he goes to see a psychiatrist now this isn't really helping him very much because he starts to think that one of his neighbors who is played by the excellent christopher lloyd is a serial killer an old man called crowley and he actually sees crowley in the act of killing somebody Now, it's very unusual the way he does it because Crowley kills the man, takes his lungs and puts the lungs into himself. Immediately you're going, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? Is this all in his mind or is this real? And from there on, you're following the young John Wayne, looking for Crowley, trying to figure out what's going on and watching him as he commits other murders now, you don't really know what's happening. Is is this all just a complete fantasy or is it real? It's a creepy, creepy film. It's very, very dark indeed. You're twisting and turning all the way through. You don't know what's real, what's imaginary. Could all be real? Just, I'm not going to say, because you should see it. It's an 
excellent movie. It's one that got very little attention when it was released. I think it maybe a week or two actually in the, the cinemas and then it just died a quick death. Yep, can't say anything more about it. Just really need to go and see it. Yeah, no, as I said to you earlier, I haven't seen it, but I watched the trailer and it did have me intrigued. I like mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd. I think he can do creepy and weird quite successfully. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, that's definitely one that I need to try and look out for. Your first pick then? So, it should be no surprise to anyone that knows me that I rave about this film sort of periodically. My first pick is a 2017 Mark Myers film, My Friend Dammer. And, you know, spoiler, it's about Jeffrey Dahmer, but not as you would think. And that's why I like this film. I now present to you, Jeff. Jeffrey. For this, I'm Jeffrey. Okay. Then I present to you, Jeffrey Dahmer, in his command performance. Wait, Dama. Dumbass. I wish I had a best friend. Jeff's a little off, you know? I think he's kind of hilarious. <laughs> hey, Jeff, do you want to come sit at our table? I think we should form a fan club. <laughs> With you as our fearless leader, we can really disrupt this school. Everybody ready? So this is based on a graphic novel that was written by one of Jeffrey Dahmer's classmates. So this is actually a film about Dahmer's period in high school. Dahmer is played by Ross Lynch, who apparently used to be on some cheesy stuff in the Disney Channel. And my God, what a transformation. He is utterly terrifying in this. But what I like about this film is it's not really nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You're some foreshadowing for, you know, what he got up to as a young man or anything like that. It's very much played as here's a very troubled teenage boy who is you know faking epileptic fits because he has no friends at school and this is the only way he can get attention his mother sort of periodically goes off to rehab because she's got mental health issues and addiction issues and his dad doesn't really know what to do with him so he gives him acid to play with because he works for some sort of pharmaceutical company and in the background of all this Jeffrey Dahmer is really struggling with his sexuality because he's starting to realise that he is gay but sort of in amongst all this you're I know that kind of sort of paints a sob story but it's definitely not asking you to feel sorry for him it's just not necessarily casting him as a villain and I think that's why I really liked it because it really sort of played around with this whole idea of you know should you feel sorry for someone like that or you know is it this kind of classic nature versus nurture situation you know would he turned out differently if he had friends if his parents were more attentive and that's really cast up through his brother who also obviously features in the film who obviously did not turn out to be a serial killer so it does raise a lot of questions and it's very very interesting and I think that you know Ross Lynch is absolutely brilliant in this because he sort of plays the role as if he has no idea how this guy's life is going to turn out and it just it really caught my attention at the film festival I just think it's an excellent piece of cinema and I can't praise that highly enough it's just a really good watch yeah I did see it at the time it's an excellent movie all based around that central performance and like you say it's because there's no sort of foreshadowing of the fact of the, the man that he's going to become he's just a, a, a troubled soul through most of the film now that, obviously that doesn't forgive what he actually became but the film isn't trying to do that the film is just laying it out saying this is what he was and these are possibly some of the reasons why he turned out what he was like and it doesn't cast any judgments at all it just 
looks at the character and looks at his background and the for me just saying that it sounds a wee bit dull but it's not at all it's engrossing yeah. and that's mainly to do with the central portrayal i had seen ross lynch and a number of things before but it, as you say it was all disney things and it took me about 45 minutes to figure out where have i seen this this guy before you know i seen him in something and it was just oh I know, I know now because I've watched them like three times a day with the kids, that kind of idea. It was <laughs> very, very different type of performance. But yeah, it worked very, very well. It's an excellent choice. Thank you very much. Your next pick? My next pick is a 2018 film called Bloodline. This stars Sean William Scott as Evan, who is a high school social worker who has just got a new baby and he is not coping particularly well with the adjustment in his life. Not the fact that he's he's married with a new baby, but there's a, a big difference in his life and he's not able to sleep properly and he's not focusing. What he does is he has to find a release for the, the pressures that are on him. Now, as a social worker within a high school, he has to be sort of a, a beacon. He has to be the, the confident adult in the room when he's talking to all these kids. And as he starts talking to the kids, he finds out that a lot of their problems have got to do with the fact that they are being bullied or abused or basically just ignored. And he decides that he can do something about that by getting rid of all the people who <laughs> abused bullied and ignored him <laughs> and he goes about that in a, a very particular way which is basically very a lot of serial killer traits the the things he goes up to it's creepy it's bloody it's gory and it's a very chilling central performance from sean william scott because as with a lot of serial killer portrayals they are sort of made out to have no emotions they're very calm almost too calm at times and it works very well in this situation because of these times when it's it's nice and quiet he's in his family situation and then it suddenly switches to him putting a pair of scissors through somebody's chest it's just <laughs> it's fun it's, it's I, I know you shouldn't say that about a film where they're doing things like that but i saw this at Sitches back in 2018 and an audience who were totally up for watching something like it and uh, it was a great experience <laughs> i would again I'd recommend it it's, yeah, there's, there are sort of elements to that as well. And it's on Netflix at the moment, so anybody can watch it that wants to. And I would highly recommend it. I need to get that watch then. That sounds excellent. Yeah. That, was that, that sounds actually, do you know what? Having watched like the nice stuff, like Booksmart, we obviously watched very bad things last night. And I've discovered that I'm, I'm, violence is getting me through lockdown, I think, is the, mm -hmm. <laughs> Thing. So I'll definitely have to give that a watch. That sounds brilliant. Your second pick? So my next pick is actually, I think this is one of my favourite Hitchcock movies, but everyone that I have shown this to has said that it's disgusting. So I'm going to go with 1972's Frenzy. The plot of it is basically there's the necktie strangler who is a sort of raping and, and murdering women in London. And I think I can quite safely say this is one of Hitchcock's 
more graphic murder thriller films. There's quite an infamous scene with with Barbara Lee Hunt that I won't go into the detail of, but it's very shocking. I mean, it sort of continues this sort of wrong man theme that goes through a lot of Hitchcock movies because you've got two friends played by Barry Foster and John Finch. Barry Foster's Robert Rusk is the necktie strangler. No spoilers, that literally happens very early on in the film. But it's his friend who's pursued as, as being the villain. And it's a film that will never make you think of the word lovely in the same way ever again once you've watched it. I think it really gets under your skin. And it's probably the most obvious example of this sort of rumoured misogyny that that Hitchcock is said to have. You know, women are treated really badly in this film. There's a a scene where a woman's body is sort of lumped in with a a sack of potatoes and you just see the kind of limbs sort of flying about. It's a sort of return to London for Hitchcock. He shot a lot of movies in America and he sort of came back and shot this movie in London. I think his cameo is quite early on when they, they find a body floating up the Thames. And it's a film that's actually got a lot of like really good British talent in it as well. So you've got like Anna Massey, Billy Whitelaw, Clive Swift and, and Bernard Cribbins. So there's a lot of kind of known faces in the film and you're all kind of you're like, oh, I didn't expect you to sort of pop up in this film. But it's, again, it really holds your attention, but it's it's definitely Hitchcock's most shocking, I would say. But a really good watch. And perhaps if you watch it and think it's disgusting, then it really is just me that enjoys this. <laughs> but I really like this movie. It's one that I have, but I've not watched. I am planning to do a wee bit of a Hitchcock marathon and watch a few movies that there's a, there's a nice sort of 16 film box set that I've got so I need to start working my way through some of the ones that I've never seen including probably maybe three or four that you have mentioned before like Shadow of Doubt and this one and I think Family Plot as well was that his last film? Family yeah Plot? that was I've actually never seen that either I think we might have the same box set is it the one with the kind of brain on the front and it's got all the different colours like the films come with stories possibly I'm, I'm not sure it's a there was two there was two separate eight disc sets and they brought it into one sort of 16 disc set from a couple of years ago when it was all it's still it's all dvds rather than blu-rays yeah. and i've watched a few of them and rewatched some of the the more famous ones but for some reason i've not been in the mood to watch them but the more we talk about Hitchcock the the more that I want to actually watch more of them because it is a bit of a gap in my film watching knowledge I'm afraid. I'd be really keen to hear your thoughts on that then once you you watch it. Your last pick? My last pick is a bit of a weird one in terms of serial killers because it's actually a comedy. It is Arsenic and Old Lace from 1944, a Cary Grant film of all things. Dolly, how did he die? Oh, Mortimer, don't be so inquisitive. The gentleman died because he drank some wine with poison in it. Well, how did the poison get in the wine? Well, we put it in wine because it's less noticeable. When it's in tea, it has a distinct odour. You mean you... You put it in the wine? Yes. And I put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat because Reverend Harper was coming. Oh. Now, obviously, Cary Grant isn't the serial killer. And it comes from the director, Frank Capra, as well, who... <laughs> Again, you wouldn't expect uh, his name above the titles of a serial killer for Lamaya. <laughs> it is something a little different. Basically, Cary Grant is Mortimer Brewster, who was a former confirmed bachelor and has now decided to get married. And what he does is he goes back to his old home 
where his old aunts are staying and his is it his brother? Yes, his brother Teddy lives, basically in order to give them the good news. He sits down at a bench and finds that there's a body inside the bench. <laughs> <laughs> he initially thinks it's Teddy because Teddy is a little on the eccentric side, shall we say. He thinks he's Theodore Roosevelt and he's he's basically in battle all the time. So he thinks it's Teddy until the, the two aunts say, oh, no, 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 that was us. We did that. That's what we do. We, we put up a notice for these uh, elderly gentlemen who come along and we they basically help them pass. <laughs> Get <laughs> some cyanide and arsenic, and basically they get Teddy to dispose of all the bodies in the cellar. Now, obviously, Mortimer is totally affronted, and he tries to manage the situation. So the the remainder of the film is a slapstick comedy with him trying to basically get through the day without implicating his aunts in this multi-murder. And it only gets worse and worse because there's other characters that come in. There's his is his other brother that comes in who looks a bit a little like Boris Karloff. He's been yeah, changed to look like a little like Boris Karloff. And we've got a link there. Peter Laurie comes in as the physician for this other character. And he turns out to be a serial killer as well as the ants as well. So and it just it's just crazy. It's just a, a mad farce and it's just wonderful. It's just an absolutely fantastic film it just it zips along it's really 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 fast i mean it's nearly two hours long which is quite long for a comedy is it long as that? Yeah. yeah but it just it works so well it's just funny and cary grant is just the top of his gear i mean you're talking mid-40s cary grant it doesn't get much better he's been through the whole howard hawks phase and everything so he knows these type of comedies inside and out his timing is impeccable and it just consummate actor consummate comedian Loved it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's one of those like sort of old classics that I can keep going back to. And like what we said about, you know, Peter Lore's eyes and M, there's so many facial expressions that Caddy Grant and it is sometimes literally just raising his eyebrows mm-hmm. in this film, but you will end up just gutting yourself. He's just he, you're right, he's on top form. It's a brilliant, brilliant pick. Your last pick? I feel like I'm ending on a bit of a down note because this is a this is an Asian extreme. I'm going from you know lovely light Cary Grant to um, I saw the Devil from 2010. This is a, a Ji Woon Kim film, and I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Although there is a serial killer in this film, but it's a kind of serial killer meets revenge story. So basically, there is obviously a serial killer on the loose, played by Choi Min Sik, and he's specifically targeting young girls and women. And the film kind of very early on in the film, there's a, a head pops up in a in a river, and you're, they sort of realise that this is more than one murder that's happened. And his sort of latest victim is a young woman, and her fiance is a police detective, played by Lee Byung. Lin, I think if I remember correctly. And he decides that he's going to take on this serial killer using all of the skills that he's acquired as a detective, both physical strength and sort of mental mindset. And it's this real cat and mouse game, the the whole film. Meanwhile, this serial killer still, you know, clocking up kills as this goes along. And he's, you know, trying to uh, keep up with him because he's so desperate to avenge his fiance. And I can't really say too much more than that without giving away the plot. It's extremely violent. And what I will say is there's a a scene in a taxi that's become quite famous and you will hold your breath the entire time because the actors are dripping in sweat. It's so tense. You'll be on the edge of your seat and 
putting it politely, you can hear every bone crunch. <laughs> but that's honestly as much as I can say without giving away. It's a really clever film that will really keep you on the edge. And there's there's going to be so many moments you'd be like, why did he do that? But I can't say too much more because it's it will give it all away. But it's a brilliant film. But as I say, it's quite violent, quite extreme, but a really good watch. Yeah, it's definitely one that you don't want to give too much away. It's less of a watch and more of an experience, I think. Yeah, this one. <laughs> yeah you kind I think of, you're right on that. You kind of just sit there going, oh my God. But there's, there's lots of changes in tone and everything. There's lighter moments, but there's obviously some very, very violent elements to it as well. I would recommend this film <laughs> for anybody that kind of likes Asian cinema. It's it's one of these high watermark films from there as well. Yeah, definitely. Very, very good choice indeed. Well done. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's, you know, I was looking back on a film from, you know, what is it, maybe, what's 1931 from now? Like 90 years ago? Mm-hmm. Plus all these different films from throughout the years. That was really quick maths. And I'm sorry, Mum, I should have paid more attention in school. But actually what you and I have been talking about and what I think most people are looking forward to is new releases. And there is some hope in the midst of this pandemic that perhaps UK cinemas might be able to open in towards the end of June, providing that the staff are safe and, you know, we can adhere to social distancing within the sort of actual cinema theatres themselves. Is that something you would welcome, John? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, obviously, I haven't had the chance to go to the cinema in several months now trying to think back to the the last films i saw it would have been tail end of the film festival and all the the films like the invisible man and things like that and fantasy island were the last sort of films that managed to catch so yes i think it's a good idea and it's looking like well initially it's looking like if the cinemas do open it's going to be under quite strict conditions and the same as any sort of workplace and social distancing is going to be in effect which will make it interesting because there'll be a high demand for people wanting to go and the the word on the street is that it's going to be the Christopher Nolan film Tenet is going to be the first big blockbuster out of the gate after things open up if it does obviously open up at the end of June to date, he has not cancelled or postponed the release of that film. There's been several news reports saying that they're holding off until the last minute in the hope that it can be the, the blockbuster to sort of kickstart things again because they know a Christopher Nolan film, especially a big budget one that's full of action and a great deal of mystery, will put bums on seats. Obviously, bums on seats six feet apart, but still bums on <laughs> seats. It's going to be interesting, though, because what they're talking about in terms of cinemas, obviously, there's a two metre distancing. So it's going to be every second row is going to be empty, yeah. as well as basically every third seat or something is going to be empty. So, sorry, you're going to have three seats between two people. So it's not going to be quite the same atmosphere, but at least it's something. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. That gives me like one tiny little bit of hope to, to cling on to. I mean, I pre-booked my No Time to Die tickets as soon as humanly possible. And obviously all of this kicked off fairly soon afterwards. And I'm, and I'm quite gutted about, I mean, I wrote a piece for the, the site today about how much I actually just missed the, 
like this was really cheesy but the kind of community of it all I love going to see especially the big releases like you know No Time to Die, Wonder Woman and Top Gun are the ones that I can think of on Fast and Furious that have all been delayed quite substantially and I do really miss that kind of group experience because as much as we can watch stuff in the house there's I feel like there's always distractions whereas cinema is like a, a commitment mm-hmm. so if we if we could get a Nolan film to kick things off then my god that would be some comeback for cinema I don't care how far apart I have to sit from anyone <laughs> I just want to see that on the big screen so here's hoping that things continue to progress well and that we can actually do that that would be so exciting yes you may even see some releases being brought forward if social distancing measures are actually in place. So there's there's hope, yeah, because there's going to be a few gaps in the release calendar because some films, as you say, like No Time to Die, that's been pushed back to November, I believe. Yeah. And other, other films have actually been pushed back a year. So there's gaps in the calendar that could quite easily be filled by films moving forward. And they would get an awful lot of publicity for doing that as well so absolutely and I think you know initially the worry was they couldn't do like the press tours and the the premieres like I am at a stage where I don't even think these films need that people are 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 desperate to consume cinema again and I think they would do a an absolute fortune even without the whole kind of you know press tours and junkets and on every chat show known to mankind At, at this stage I don't even think they need that I think people are just excited to see them in the cinema Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I ov- obviously tend to go to cinemas after work and things like that, so it's still reasonably quiet. But I do enjoy the experience of watching something on the big screen and there's no interruptions. Like you say, it's, there's, there's nothing quite like it. It is a communal experience, even if it is only five other people sitting in the cinema in Parkhead in Glasgow. But it, it works. It definitely yeah, works. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is us coming to a sad end of the, this latest podcast. I know you guys will be crying out for more, the dear listener that we have. If you want to get in touch with us, if you've got any ideas of films that you'd like to see us cover, maybe it's an old classic that you love or something that's out on streaming services that you think we should chat about, please get in touch with us on all the usual social channels. We are at Movie Scramble. And I believe I'm going to fuck up our email address, but I think it's podcasts at moviescramble.com. Podcasts at moviescramble.co.uk. Damn it! <laughs> so that's us signing off, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.